Welcome to this week's Silicon Slopes Conversations. We're here with Amber Benson and Jason Budge, who are the co-founders of Ruby. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. And um, for those not here, everyone here is getting a nice little sample of the product. And uh, so far, it's thumbs up from what I can tell. So I'm excited about this one because it's uh, fairly new for Silicon Slopes content, um, but the principles of entrepreneurship will apply. One of the things I'm most excited about is to hear about how the whole thing actually works. But before we get to that point, the founding story, how did you guys come together? Where did the idea come together? How was the company formed? I think our founding story is kind of interesting. It wasn't um, just two people starting something fresh on its own. Um, uh, Jason owns Thrive uh, Foods, which is the largest freeze-drying company in the nation. And I was working for him at Thrive, um, there at Thrive. And we had been doing some research on fruits and vegetables, and especially freeze-dried fruits and vegetables, and we're learning about how amazing the benefits are. I remember one day I was sitting at my desk. I, ha I brought in this bag of vegetables and, that I eat at lunchtime, and I was eating them, and I was looking at this research, and I'm like, I think I'm eating cardboard <laughs> because freeze-drying like, retains the nutrients so well. And if it sits at the grocery store, it's, um, it starts to lose the nutrients. So we saw this research. We're kind of healthy people anyway and thought, how can we get more fruits and vegetables to people? And I remember a phone conversation we had. Um, I was down by that Thrive Nursery, kind of by the Thrive offices. And, I, and we were saying, what, what, what's next on the horizon? What's next with fruits and vegetables? And we said, powders. We've got to figure out how to powder them. And... Um, so that was an early conversation in 2018, um, busy with Thrive stuff. Um, so it was sort of back burner, but sort of starting to work on. Um, but we started testing it in 2019 um, with Thrive. And do you want to explain maybe the relationship there with Thrive? Yeah, and, and maybe even just a side, sidebar on this. That, um, so with Thrive, we freeze dry lots of fruits and veggies. And for... A long time, we would go look at our production room, and, and after we packaged them in cans or pouches, we saw all this leftover powder. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is like gold powder that we're just throwing away. So what can we do with this? And we even started canning it up for a while. I thought, we'll just get to this sometime down the road. We never did. We just chucked pallets of freeze-dried powder at some point. But we realized there was an opportunity to capture maybe some of this waste and do something with it. And, yeah, I think we... Um, you know, we, we had this concept that we were exploring with, with Ruby that we thought this is an easier way to get people to get their fruits and veggies in maybe a powder drink form than eating whole foods uh, from the grocery store. So we started concepting it back in 2019, and we said, well, let's, let's test this out. Let's launch it. We launched it under our Thrive Life brand, which is kind of a, a direct-to-consumer or a um, direct sales model. And... Um, yeah, immediately had a great response. Uh, had a, a really successful launch and um, was was doing well under the Thrive brand. Um, Let me one one thing that's important about all of this. When we were um, putting the powders together, we thought, well, it's fruits and vegetables. We're going to have to add sugar. We're going to have to have st add stevia or something. And we had some consumers who were like, no, please don't add sugar, don't add stevia. And we're like, but it's fruits and vegetables. This is going to be terrible. So we start blending it together. And, and um, right before a big four-hour grinding meeting, we, um, in my mind, I was like, I just have to see if this is possible. So I went down into the kitchen um, where we had all this product sitting around, and I started blending together blueberries and spinach, and I can't remember what the third ingredient was, and tasted it, and I was like, with water, mixed it up with water, tasted it, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is good. So I took it up to the meeting where we had a competitor product that was fruits and vegetables, but high heat air-dried. And we tasted them side by side, and we were blown away with how good Ruby could taste. And that was just the, the very first steps, and the end blends came out differently. But um, that, there was a lot of that kind of mad scientist um, behavior in the kitchen where we would just mix stuff together over and over and over until we could find combinations that we liked. For probably six months, we were just back and forth going through. And we didn't know if we could get even vegetables to taste good, right? It's, you'll see a lot of fruit drinks that will have a ton of fruit, and they'll have a a smattering of kale just to make the label. And it's hard to get veggies to taste good. And we, we didn't know if we could do that with freeze-dried, but the freeze-dried process really concentrates the flavor um, in those fruits. So it almost kind of masks the veggie flavor. 
So we quickly discovered that through this process, we could get almost half of our drink vegetable and still make it taste good, which was, you just don't see that in the market. And so anyway, we, we, we kind of got uh, going on this project. And, and the other thing we didn't know is, will it actually be well-received, number one? Will people actually adopt it? And all this research that we've been looking at, is, is it really, or will people really feel a difference if they start getting more fruits and vegetables in their diet? So we, we got out and started testing this with people, and we were thinking, well, maybe after three or six months, they'll come back and say, hey, I'm feeling a little bit better. It was within, like, weeks. Sometimes one or two weeks, people are saying, oh, my gosh, I, I wasn't sleeping. And then I started drinking this ruby thing you're giving me every day, and I'm sleeping better. And uh, we've had people say, my, my whole complexion cleared up. I, I stopped taking my medication. And anyway, these crazy stories were coming in. Energy, digestion. Digestion is probably the first thing people notice because people aren't used to eating fiber in their diet. And, um, you know, half your plate should be fruits and vegetables. And, and it's lucky if we get a fruit or a vegetable in a day. Um, so, when, yeah, when people started drinking ruby every single day, getting the fruits and veggies, they were like, oh, my digestion all of a sudden works. <laughs> so, Which was kind of uh, an affirmation of what we're doing. Like, okay, this is actually working. It's not just, we got it to taste good. We got lots of vegetables in there. And, yes, the research that fruits and veggies can totally power you up and change your life. It's working. We're seeing people coming back with story after story. So I think we realize, okay, we're, we've got something here. This is, this is something that we think is going to have a huge impact on people's health and, and well-being. And so, yeah, we, we pushed that through to launch in 2019. Yeah. So under, Jason mentioned under Thrive, this direct sales model, and it was really kind of a testing ground. We knew um, we wanted to see how well it would do on a, like a, an established customer base, um, instantly did well. Um, revenue was great that first year um, because we had this vibrant customer base. And then COVID hit um, just a few months after we um, started introducing it to that, those customers. And pretty quickly, those Thrive customers um, pivoted their, um, maybe their dollar out of Ruby, which is an everyday product, and into food storage. And yeah, Thrive just exploded during COVID because everybody was looking for food storage. There was a lot of panic out there. Um, and so it actually escalated or um, sped the, the amount of time it would take us to pull Ruby away from Thrive, which was kind of ultimately our goal. Yeah, we even talked about in the beginning, like, does this, should we launch this under one of our current brands or does this deserve its own platform? I think you and I were thinking, let's just go separate brand, let's break this thing off. And we got swindled by someone in our company to keep it under Thrive Super Life. Super good sales guy. Yeah, totally got duped. Anyway, so it was already in our minds that we should, we, this needs its own stage. And so that was just the right timing. COVID hit. We're like, all right, let's, uh, let's see what we can do to pivot and, and give this its own yeah, foray into the market as a separate individual brand. Very so cool. we totally pulled it away 2021, 20, January. That's kind of the official launch date for Ruby on our own two feet. 2022. 2022, sorry. Good enough. 2022. Great founding story, and it involved uh, a blender and some blueberries, and I love the R&D aspect of that. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, real quick, science of freeze-drying, and second question would be, where do you guys get your fruits and vegetables? Yeah, so, um, I mean, freeze-drying really started back in the um, space exploration days, right? They were trying to figure out how to get food up into space without all the water weight. And so this freeze-dry technology was born at that point. Maybe you've tried the freeze-dry ice cream bars. I don't know if any of you guys have tried those Skittles. before. Skittles. But um, anyway, so that was kind of, it had a purpose to get to space with little weight. Um, and then I think there were other just uh, opportunities that developed from that. One of those being, and we're very familiar with this here in the Utah community, uh, which is food storage, right? How do we increase the shelf life of foods? So when you freeze dry something, we'll actually harvest something when it's ripe, which is not typical of what you see in the grocery store. We can wait till it's ripe, we harvest it, and then within 2 to 12 hours, we'll actually flash freeze it. So we kind of lock in that nutrient degradation process right at that moment. And then from the frozen state, we actually take it into these giant freeze-dry chambers about as long as the width of this room here. Uh, we'll wheel in just a whole bunch of strawberries or spinach or chicken, you name it. 
And then over the course of about 8 to 20 hours, we take the pressure down to zero, we drop the temperature, and we just remove that ice. So what happens is you get a really lightweight product with virtually no water. And when you take water out of it, when you take light out of it with our packaging, uh, when you take oxygen out, then you stop everything that breaks down a food. So that's why you, you hear about freeze-dried foods last for 25 years and probably a lot longer. We've seen things 40, 50 years old that still have great nutrient quality. Um, so that's the process, and I think that there are a lot of great um, um, areas in the market where that becomes really valuable. For us, we found that outside of food storage, which is kind of the genesis of this product, um, you know, we, we can conquer that whole issue that we struggle with, which is that we buy strawberries at the grocery store. It's hit or miss that they even taste good, right? They were picked pre-ripe four weeks ago in California. They traveled for two weeks. They sat in facilities ripening. Um, and then you take them home, and within a week, they're going back in the garbage. A day. Or a day, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Or you discover that one that's got mold on it you just bought from the store. So we can really preserve and, and reduce waste and, and help people get a really highly nutritious and great-tasting food um, with bypassing this whole typical supply chain that we're used to. So Amber talked about how sometimes stuff tastes like cardboard. I don't know if you've had that experience, but... Our stuff doesn't taste like that because we can let it ripen literally and then just harvest it right then and stop that nutrient degradation. So anyway, really powerful way to, to uh, increase nutrient density, to preserve flavor, to preserve shelf life. It's just a really powerful process. It does add cost, of course, to the process. But um, for us, we've been able to build a nice business with Thrive on it, and we're uh, really loving the technology for our Ruby process. Well, early on, also, we had somebody say, why would you freeze-dry it? It's so much more expensive. Just dry it. Um, and typical dry, drying methods is they're big drums um, that you have to juice first. So you juice the fruit and vegetable first. You throw it in this drum with super high heat or it's spray-dried with additives. And um, it just it kills the taste. So freeze-drying keeps the taste, it keeps the nutrients, and that's why we decided to, to stick with that method. Otherwise, you, you do have to add the sweeteners and, and all of the, you know, the flow agents and different things that make it taste just decent. So, so maybe just on that line, if you, so if you haven't heard of Ruby, probably most of you haven't yet. We're very, very startup phase, but um, our whole mantra is fruits and veggies, nothing else. So we're literally giving you a pouch of freeze-dried fruits and vegetables crushed up and we put nothing else in, in our product. So there's no, there are no fillers, no sweeteners, no preservatives. And it's cool to watch people see that because they're used to that, right? They're used to seeing a bunch of stuff on the label. They look at our label and say, oh my gosh, spinach, cherries, um, blueberries. That's it. There's nothing else there. So we love that we can provide a really healthy product, um, a really great tasting product without all the typical junk that people throw in there. Just like... What most of humankind over the last however long we've been here have eaten, right? Yeah. They, yeah, well, was... you mentioned your garden, and um, really the best way to eat food is straight from the garden. So if you can pick an apple and eat it within a day or two, that's the best way you can get your nutrients. Um, spinach loses 100% of its vitamin C within four days. So anytime it's traveling to us from the grocery store, um, it's losing nutrients. An, an apple at the grocery store is on average a year old. So, or it can be a year old because it has one harvest season. So um, what we get at the grocery store is not so fresh. And that's where freeze drying is actually showing to be more nutrient, nutrient dense than, than anything but what you get out of your garden. <laughs> yeah, very cool. So if um, that's the case and you, this you know, ruby starts taking off, the second question was, where do you get your produce your fruit and veggies yeah i mean we've um we source a lot of things stateside anything we can get stateside we typically do but you're not getting pineapples in the u.s you're not getting mangoes so uh, we have sources all around the world um, south america we source a lot from europe we source um, a bit from asia so it depends on the and, and each part of the world has a different growing season as well and what makes it um, additionally challenging sometimes is there are, uh, depending on the climate, depending on the soil and, and the, the growing season, you'll get um, different densities. We call them brick counts, sugar densities in the food. So there are a lot of these variables that we have to play with and weigh out. And, you know, we'll, we'll try eight pineapples 
that don't pass. And then we'll get one that really fits our profile. It really fits our flavor profile. It hits the nutritional deck perfectly. And so, you know, we're really after that one specific ingredient that we might only be able to find in Peru. Um, so the supply chain for us is really key because we need that for our story. We need that for our flavor profile. Um, and it's what consumers are coming to us for. They're saying, man, this, I can't believe you're giving me a drink with all those vegetables that taste this good. Um, so anyway, all over the world, um, well, there are certain places we kind of stay clear of a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, wherever we can find the best stuff. Very cool. And then the processing and manufacturing, is that here locally or is there various spots around the world as well for that? Yeah, we'll bring everything in and we do all the manufacturing um, here locally. It was interesting because with Thrive, we were fully integrated, right? We had the, f the full team. We've got the full manufacturing facility. When we pulled away with Ruby, we had to now start picking up the pieces and saying, all right, I guess we're doing our own sourcing. Now we're doing our own um, finance and our own supply chain, which I know you love, Garrett. Um, and so we, uh, but we still, uh, we still maintain all that manufacturing process here locally. Cool. Um, I hate supply chain and logistics. I'm glad other people like it and are good at it. Because the drinking of it, by the way, this is the first time I have sipped it, and it's delicious. Um, and the marketing and promotion, fun. Even the finance, fun. But the figuring out, like, where, where is this in the world, and is it going to get here on time? Not fun. But I'm glad people enjoy it. I don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> I hired people to do that at Thrive. Yes. Really good people. And when you start a business, you don't have the team, which was a, a, a very fast learning, like, oh, crap, where are my people? I guess I'm doing supply chain and finance and operations. And HR. And HR. So, um, we outsource some, some yeah, things. So. But I'll be excited when we can support those people to do the jobs that I don't like to do. But it is kind of a necessary part of that f startup phase, which 18 years ago when we started Thrive, was me and Steve Palmer in some dingy office space in Orem, like just slaying it with every part of the business, you know, kind of wearing 10 different hats at one time. And that's kind of what you do. And it's honestly, it's a, it's a really fun part of business. I mean, it's, it's painful getting involved in those job processes that you don't love, but it's also what invigorates you. It's what creates that passion. It's what creates that energy, I think, to, to allow a business to thrive and grow in this phase. Yeah. That leads into my question here. You guys had a previous working relationship, which is, which is always good. Some co-founders don't know each other very well. Um, how did you guys divide up duties in the early days? You can't mention some of the hats to wear, but where were your strengths? Where were your weaknesses? How did you do it, you two? Um, so there was a, a small team that worked on Ruby in, within Thrive, um, Jason and I primarily. Um, and... Madison, who was with us from the beginning, helped formulate Ruby. Um, and so Jason was pretty busy with the governing of Thrive and, and duties there. And so I took, um, once it was kind of off the ground, um, I managed the product um, from a marketing standpoint and then managed supply chain as well. Um, when we decided to pull it away uh, last year, then it, all of a sudden we had a lot more duties we had to take under our own um, own office space, literally. So <laughs> Jason's kind of taken on a lot of those things, um, the logistical things, finance, um, supply chain, manufacturing, uh, warehousing, and I, I control the, the team and the marketing. Which I actually am a little bit envious. I'm a little jealous. Like Amber got the fun part. I love the, the marketing <laughs> side I love. I love the creative side of it. I think in Thrive, I was... Um, the division of duties would have been my business partner handling a lot of the operation parts, and, and I was more on the creative side. So the problem is Amber is such a genius on the creative side that it's hard for me to want to get in front of her and say, let me do marketing when you're super awesome at it. So I just take the crappy parts. <laughs> um, although one of the things I've taken is HR, and I found that she quickly has taken HR from me. She's doing most of those duties probably because I'm incompetent, but she also works a lot with the team on those things. Um, but it's... It's actually been really nice. It's gelled really well. Sometimes you have those conflicts, I think, um, in, in division of responsibility. But um, our relationship has been uh, super easy to facilitate that. And I think we both just really settled well into those, those roles. 
We've also decided that if we can unload anything first, it'll be a lot of those things so that Jason can be a marketer because he's so good at it. And we need a lot of help right now just finding people. That's our, our main duty right now. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like it's working out well, and it's always nice when the synergies are there. Um, whether it was your grandma, your mom, your dad, your fourth grade teacher, we've all been told to eat our fruits and vegetables, and we know the reasons why, right? Um, you'd have to be insane to argue against that. Um, and we've talked a little bit about like the degradation of, of the food quality in like our current system and all of those things. But uh, in the early days, who is your target market? Is it a sixth grader that refuses to eat broccoli and it's the mom? Or is it fitness enthusiasts, is it hikers? Where did you guys start? So um, because we had the Thrive customer, it was, it was her at first. Um, Jennifer, yeah, and her persona. But we also knew that, um, that our Ruby persona would be a little different. Um, but it was tricky launching it into a customer, customer base that you know, knew what they knew and loved what they loved. And they loved Ruby right at, at, at first, but they were also in this direct sales model where they were fully into building their business with whatever worked well. And for them, it was during COVID, um, food storage. And so we, we started pivoting pretty quickly. We did a big, spent a lot of money on a, a market research um, survey to, to say who would, who would be the ideal customer for this. And it was interesting because it came back as Tyler, who is um, 45 to 55. And I was like, Tyler, like how, how is it Tyler? And, and then we dove into our, you know, our customer base and what we were already learning on Facebook. And, and, it, and it, before diving in, we started positioning ourselves to Tyler. I guess we've got to talk to Tyler. He's our guy. We thought it was somebody else, but so we started marketing to this particular demographic. And then... Yeah, so um, we learned that Tyler actually does use the product a lot. Um, but Tyler's wife buys it. <laughs> so we learned that just through um, really diving into our own customer data, um, looking at who is the purchaser, who's buying it. And, and mom, um, mom is the, the chief um, nutritionist of the home. So she's the one typically buying for her husband, for her children. Um, so and for herself. And for herself. I mean, we're learning that moms, I mean, it's like moms eat last, right? Like it's, everything is about kids and family and keeping husband healthy, but they, they need something. They need something quick and easy. If something is easy, we'll do it. If it's not easy, we won't do it. And that's one of the challenges that, that moms have. We all have it, but moms in particular. So this was also kind of a call out to mom to say, hey, let's give you an option to help you take care of yourself as well. So the, the demographics started to evolve, and we realized, okay, it is who we actually thought it probably was. We just had to go dive into the research. We talked to a lot of people. We would talk to people at events, and, and just it's kind of that, like, process of just understanding who's your target. We figured out that it was somebody else. The first FitCon we went to, we thought, this is going to do great. It's powder. People love powder. They're into fitness. They know why fruits and veggies are important. But it was still, and even though keto is still really high, it was even higher then. Um, and so it wasn't an instant hit like we thought it would be at FitCon. I hear FitCon has changed a little bit, and it's actually pulling in the female demographic a little better. And even people's perception of nutrition is changing a little bit. Like, oh, actually, it is good to eat fruits and vegetables. Fruits, at least. Um, so... Uh, we haven't explored back into FitCon yet, but um, finding, finding, like events are really important for us. We learn so much when you just stand in front of a customer. Um, surprisingly, the home show of all shows was really good for us. It was just kind of a broad demographic from Utah who comes and, um, and we stuck out like a sore thumb. So it was like, what is this product? And so that we did well there. Um, Pinner's conference was really great for us. Um, another event that was really good was an event in, um, Colorado called the GoPro, GoPro Mountain Games. Lots of kind of outdoor enthusiasts. Um, it did really well there. Um, and Be Healthy Utah just happened. It was probably our most successful conference or, or event that we've been to. So. It's one of those things you dread a little bit, like, oh, i got to go stand out in front of a bunch of people and try to pitch my product. And then at the end of the show, you're like, oh, my gosh. Okay, circle the wagons, guys. What did you learn? What did you learn? And we'll have this really vibrant conversation where we're like all you know, scratching down notes like, okay, we got to do this, this, and this. So I think when we talk about 
finding our target customer, we oftentimes will rely upon the research company, right, to go out and go figure it out for us. I think so much of that learning needs to happen like by hitting the pavement. It's rolling up the sleeves and getting dirty and talking to people and seeing how they respond. And for us, that was vital in us identifying truly who our target market was. Very cool. It is funny. You regret going to events, even maybe something like this. But usually at the end, you're like, it was well worth it. Yeah. Well worth it. Um, we did not regret coming here, though, just FYI. For the record, you. we were excited for this event. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, talked a little bit about the early days, the Skunk Works, the spin-out. Um, of all of the fruits and vegetables that you had access to, what was the first batch and the first like shipment, first customer? What was the early success or failure even? Well, we started right out of the gate with our four blends. We actually have a few more in the works um, that are finalized. It's just really shoring up the supply chain to make sure we have you know, first, second, third suppliers um, before we would feel comfortable launching it. But those four blends, um, it's kind of an interesting, Jason's really good at like keeping things simple and um, you know, I'll come out at like, hey, we need to launch more products. And he's like, just know what that means. And you're opening the door to so much more complexity the more you launch. Um, and I've heard of companies going out and launching lots and lots and lots and then having to scale back because it puts a big strain on the manufacturing side of things on in procurement um, finance as well. So um, we started with the four blends um, and it's interesting that they've almost sold equally. The green maybe edges just slightly over the others because the green has 60% veggie and I think people just want veggies to be super easy, but the others are about 50%. Um, but yeah, I don't know, did that answer what you were asking? So the four products, and they've done, they've done great so far. Very cool. Yeah, and just maybe a note on that. I think um, the keeping it simple, I mean, there's that fine balance, right? You want to be innovative to, to continue to um, keep your own customer base happy. They want new stuff. They want exciting stuff. But I think in our 18-year stint with Thrive, if there was a learning, and there were a million learnings, but one was that, man, just keep it simple like we just tried to do so much in that time and we would launch new products and launch new campaigns and we would launch new tools and we thought well this is what's required for us to grow and what happened is it just our customer base became disoriented like oh my gosh there's so much i have to sift through operationally it became crazy complex and you get this point of diminishing returns where you start losing money because you got too much you're doing so i think um we really kind of had a mantra with Ruby, like we're going to keep it super simple. We're going to focus on what we're really good at. We're going to be awesome at these initial blends, get our, our strategy perfected, really get our, our sales channel dialed in, get our customer dialed in. And once it's flowing well, then I think it makes sense then to, to innovate and start to add those complexities that just have always hidden costs that you can't foresee. So it's been good, but I, I think we're also... I think we're ready for we're anxious. We're ready for the new blend. Anxious like, for those. Yeah, we're hopefully in the fall we'll have uh, another blend or two come out. But uh, I don't think we're going to have a thousand product lines. I think we're going to be a simple product line company and be really good at those things. But that simplicity carried over into other things as well. At Thrive, the um, the website was built on Magento, and it it was complex because it was um, a direct sales model, and and to work in a com uh, compensation plan, and uh, it had a team of ten ten programmers. Um, it was a, a robust um, IT team that had, you know, a year already planned out. And we thought, we, ca we can't do that. We can't, first of all, we can't afford a team of 10 uh, IT people. It's what's the simplest way to build this. And it was through Shopify. So our website's on Shopify. And it's amazing that every month, you know, new apps come out or, or the apps that we're using, they, they continue to develop in a way that we... Right now is the first time we've ever had to work with a programmer, um, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been pretty easy because of the tools in place for small businesses like us. Very cool. Um, we're going to open it up for questions from the audience here in a little bit, so um, get those questions ready. Uh, you talked a little bit about boots on ground going to events. The home show is pretty good hack there. If you're if you're the one that isn't selling. Uh, lawn furniture and carpet, people might want to talk to you. Um, what about influencers or social media? What else have you found works really well with probably the tip of the pyramid being happy customers that 
force their friends to buy it as well. But what else has worked for you guys? Yeah, so um, we, as soon as we broke away from Thrive, we could then go into Facebook. We had to sort of avoid Facebook marketing until we were um, separated from the direct sales model because it's in direct co competition with your primary customer. Um, so we started into Facebook right away, and after a, a couple of years, it took us to be like, why is this still, I mean, we would see improvements, um, and we're to a place where there's a lot of numbers and metrics that have gotten better, um, but especially toward the beginning of this year, we learned, okay, this iOS 14 change has actually dramatically shifted the way Facebook advertising is being done, and the way brands are growing because of it. Um, it, it what, you kind of have to talk to other people to learn that. So you only see what you see internally. But um, so we've, we've begun kind of, not a hard pivot, but um, to really pivot our attention into other things like influencers. We've always used influencers. We had influencers come over, um, ambassadors from um, our Thrive community that wanted to continue to promote uh, Ruby. Um, but we, yeah, Funny enough, we had a, our big first event, internal event, um, on Monday. We held a country music con concert, <laughs> which is really out of our, out of our wheelhouse. Um, our creative director, Dave, has um, a good connection with Kyler Fisher. He's um, a local uh, YouTube um, family that has done really well that is pivoting into country music. So we had a country music concert and invited um, a bunch of people, and it was... Um, Hopefully it will be a success, but um, yeah, influencers look at what we're doing and it, Ruby is so unique and different um, that it does turn a lot of heads and so, so we're pivoting a lot of our attention there into PR and some other things as well. Yeah, I'll say too, I think when we, came, when we pivoted away from Thrive, I think we were on the, the tail end of this kind of sensational way to build your business through Facebook advertising. We hadn't had the iOS change, and so you had these companies that were just getting in and just slaying it on, on Facebook advertising. So that's, what do you do when you're not in direct sales? You go build your business on Facebook. So that's how we did it. But um, yeah, anybody who's in e-com right now knows it's been a hard slog the last couple of years, and it took us a year to figure this out. Like, oh my gosh, we are not winning like everybody used to be winning in Facebook advertising. So we've really had to get creative, which I think is kind of the tale of entrepreneurship, right? How do we go find people with a lower customer acquisition cost? Um, I was talking to a, a, a marketing agency guy um, a few weeks ago. He said, things have changed in the last three to five years in marketing faster than I've ever seen it change. So it is literally like day by day, it's transforming. And so you have to adapt. You have to quickly learn, okay, what's what's happening, what's working today. So we're finding creative ways to, to get in front of people. You talked about, um, yeah, getting happy customers, and at the end of the day, that's it. We're, we went D to C because we're saying, let's go find our passionate, loyal following, let's go build happy customers. But we realize we can't do it just through Facebook. Um, we're getting a lot more into the influencer community. Uh, we realize that CPG brands, really, the successful ones, um, really are omni-channel now, and so we, re we realize there's, there needs to be a foray probably into the retail space. Um, but, yeah, it's, I mean, we sit around and, like, crack our heads together and say, what can we do that's creative and new? The, the country concert. Like, we had all these people come in. We invited a bunch of influencers. We flew in two guys from Nashville, um, flew in a band from California. And, like, so we're just trying to find ways to, to connect with people in unique and different ways than maybe the traditional form of uh, Facebook advertising. So we're not abandoning it, but we're realizing it's not the end game like it used to be. Yeah. So you guys are a startup, and startups have uh, tough sledding. And uh, there's a lot of reasons why. But one of those is competition, right? And whether it's other startups or a big behemoth that has been around for 100 years, I'm thinking like Chiquita or Dole, there's a lot of folks, right, in this industry. Um, do you see any of them coming downstream uh, and kind of stealing your thunder? Do you worry about it at all? Are they where the acquisition happens theoretically in the future? How do you guys view and deal with competition? I mean, I think it's always a worry in the back of your mind. I, you know, when, we st when I started Thrive, it was like every little thing that came up that might be slightly competitive, my business partner and I panicked. Like, oh my gosh, the world's crashing down. Our business isn't going to survive. 
after like 100 of those, you just get numb. Like, okay, competition is going to come and go. Um, you have to just understand what your, what your unique value position is, get really good at that, and then not let that stress you out. Like, um, you know, good companies are going to come and, and be sustainable if you've got a good strategy and good people in place. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, there are, we're not the first fruit and vegetable beverage. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty thick space out there. And honestly, the big companies, the Doles and the Shakitas, They've been around here forever. What are they doing for us? They're not innovating. I mean, they're putting little cubes of fruit in a cup with some syrup, but they're, they're not helping us out getting our fruits and veggies. So they're, it, this industry, this space needs someone like us or some small entrepreneur to come up and say, let's go shake it up. Let's go make, make waves and help people get their fruits and vegetables because the big guys aren't doing it. We're failing and getting our, our, our fruits and vegetables, which are so vital to our health and well-being, they're so vital to our longevity, and why are only one in 10 of us still getting it? So part of that is like, well, yeah, there's these big dogs out there, but they don't, they're not agile, they're not nimble enough, I think, to even come in and maybe shake things up. They might want to come and talk to us, and we do have people that will reach out to us. Um, but at the same time, we realize what we have is unique. We think we have a brand that's gonna be a huge brand. It's going to be something that really turns the eyes of a Chiquita and these big companies. And so um, we've worked to protect our IP. We, we have a, a patent that we're working on, and we are at least doing those things to make sure that we're positioning ourselves well if the big guys come in and try to take our space. Um, but I, I will also say it's as much as I have been doing, I've been doing freeze drying for a long, long time. I know it really well. Um, but I've learned so many things in the last two years that I did not know that make the process of putting it into a powder, into a pouch that doesn't harden up, that has the right flavor and consistency, it's not an easy challenge. It's really hard. It actually is to our benefit that it's really hard to do. <laughs> One of our things that probably keeps us up at night is just like dialing in our, our operational process to make sure that it continues to deliver the way it needs to. So I think there are some barriers to entry there. Um, but listen, we, we've got a, an awesome team. We've got a ton of passion. We believe in what we do. And I think you don't find that necessarily in this realm at a Chiquita or at a Dole. And so yeah, I think we rest okay. I like it. Um, I've got a few more questions, but I want to open it up to the audience to see if they've got any. We've got a microphone. All right. Hello. Uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for your story. It's really awesome. Um, I, I don't know if I missed this part or if you talked a little bit about it. So you're a, you're a startup. Are, did you just bootstrap your company? Did you take on uh, capital? Or how, how did you do it? I'm just curious how, how you did it. Yeah, it, we, we're bootstrapping it. We're self-funding right now. I think when we, when we started 18 years ago, um, we were really hesitant to take on any type of financial partnerships. We just, we, it kind of scared us, right? We want to go and have the full autonomy to build our business. And that's how we built it. We built Thrive without taking on any additional capital. We recently brought on um, some private equity, um, but that was 18 years later. And we, we love that. And in many ways, I think we could have grown faster with a strategic partnership. I mean, I look back sometimes and think, man, we, we were like on the brink of disaster like every six months. Like, could we have just gotten somebody in to help us just to get through those difficult times? But it, um, I think it boded well for us in that business model. When we sold, we had, my partner and I still had full control of the company. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, 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 um, the mantra that we've had. That's the, my mentality. Um, I will say, though, like we're in a different stage of business. We're a different stage of life. And well, I'm not sure. It's funny. I, I, I always said, knowing what we went through, with, with Thrive and what it took to be successful and how hard that was, I will never do a startup again. There's no way. And I'm like, I'm back doing a startup, bootstrapping, and that sucks in so many ways. Why am I doing this? Because he loves it. You can tell. <laughs> I th yeah, I think it's hard to suppress passion. I mean, you can say it, but if you're really passionate about something, like nothing is going to get in the way of that. Even doing some stupid startup again, and self-funding it. So, but different stage of life, I think, um, you know, honestly, we've talked about this. I think we're, we're open now in a way that I used to never be to finding the right partnership, maybe finding a strategic partnership, um, possibly a financial partnership. We're self-funding it. And um, so I think um, we, we haven't really chased after it, but I think op or open if the right opportunity comes our way. 
But right now, bootstrap mode at the shows. Just rolling up we sleeves. Bring, we each bring all of our kids, and they, they help work the shows with us. I have people every show that will come up and say, hey, are those your boys? Kate, professional sales career. Those guys are amazing. Jason has seven kids, so that helps. <laughs> I'm not sure who's there even, usually. You don't even have to pay them, last I checked. You talked about your marketing, and you found that it was a Tyler that was your market uh, base, but Tyler's wife is the buyer. How do you get Tyler's six-year-old to take this stuff in a freeze-dried uh, product, or do you have capsules coming out? No capsules, um, partially because capsules can't hold enough fruits and veggies. The, Ruby's almost half your daily servings of fruits and veggies, and we love that. We love that it's a food. It has a food label, not a supplement label. Um, so that's important to us. Um, so sometimes, yeah, it's interesting at events, you have a kid either love it and they're like licking the cup and then you have kids that are like, oh, I hate it. So, you know, kids just have interesting palates. Even adults, sometimes, in the, you know, they'll come in with their Red Bull or, you know, an iced coffee and they go to drink it. And I'm like, ooh, I don't know how that's going to go. It's like brushing your teeth and eating an orange. It's, you know, there's some combinations you have to be careful with. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, you, got, you got to get creative. So, um mix ruby with some juice or throw it in a blender with ice and make an icy um the other day my son was eating chick-fil-a for dinner he's 13 and i said do you want some bell peppers and carrots cut up for dinner or some ruby and he said ruby and, I, and then i said okay which flavor and he says recovery which to him is the red one it helps him recover from his sports so yeah kids will kids will drink it when you 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 gussy it up for them. <laughs> yeah, and I'll say it's been actually surprising how many kids just drink it plain. Like, you'll get the occasional one that's like, eh, I don't like this, but um, we have all kinds of videos of, of our people that are saying, look at my kid. He's drinking his fruits and vegetables. All my kids, just like unprovoked, will go get a ruby every two or three days. I'm not paying them. They can still stay in the family if they don't do it. They're, it's genuinely, like, I think if you get someone at a young age, if you get a kid or an infant, um, Mike is on our team. He's here today. He's got his infant that, like, he'll mix up a paste of Ruby. The kid eats mostly Ruby. He's going to be like Hulk, I think, when he grows up. Um, but it's, it's amazing. If you introduce this to kids early enough, I think they actually develop psychologically an interest in fruits and vegetables that will change how they perceive them going forward. And we have a lot of kids at all ages that are drinking it saying, oh, this is awesome. But they'll never eat it. They'll never pick up a carrot stick or broccoli, but they'll down a ruby with eight different fruits and vegetables in it. So it's been kind of fun to watch that, that stage of development adopt our product. Where did the name come from? Names are hard. If anybody's done a name exercise, um, we had so many great names. And then you go research if it's available for trademarking. Um, and pretty much nothing is. So then you start combining words together. So Ruby is the roots of life. Rue, kind of a funny or an interesting way to spell Rue, roots, and then V is life in Latin. So roots of life. I walked around a nursery one time and this brainstorming exercise, like what's our name going to be? We got fruits and vegetables. I remember like making a field trip to a nursery, a local nursery, and just walking around for inspiration, like petunia, you know, or like I... <laughs> Nothing came. I spent like two hours, and so we probably had 100 names. And honestly, only five we think could pass the sniff test of getting through the trademark office. And, and of uh, those five, our lawyers just said, here's your best chance. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, you look at, it's, uh, I'm, sometimes I wish we had like a little more like fruity, veggie name, fruity, or, you know, but um, I think anymore you look at brands and it's, it's really, the name is, can be important, but really it's what you do with the name. It's the brand you build around it that matters. It's what people remember, and people are fine. Oh, Ruby, I love Ruby. It's just the thing that goes with this particular product we have. So, yeah, I wish we had like a more sexy way to tell that story, but it's a good process story. of elimination. That's great. Uh, you'd mentioned with bootstrapping and building from the ground up, why not ride the coattails of Thrive Life with supply chain and all the manufacturing and things that you already had in place? It sounds like it's been a really learning journey going through what you're doing now and that spinoff. Is it because it wasn't a direct sales model with Ruby or why the, why the spinoff? And it seems like it was more difficult. No, it's a great question, honestly. And, and it has been way more difficult because when you've got the resources of um, our, we have currently 700 people at Thrive at that local office, maybe three, 350. When you've got that resource in place, you can plug something in pretty quickly and get it moving without doing everything that we're doing. 
part of that is what Amber mentioned earlier is we felt we needed it needed its own platform outside of the current umbrella of Thrive. So at Thrive, we have Thrive Life, we have Nutrastore Foods, we have Peak Refuel, we have all these different brands. And sometimes they get lost a little bit. They, there's not the ability to maybe innovate and get as creative with an individual brand. And so we always felt like, man, Ruby needs its own platform. It's just maybe it can't go as far. There'll be a ceiling with Thrive. But the other thing, if I'm just being frank, is we had, we had this um, private equity group come in. And because Ruby was so startup and didn't have like, any revenue to show for it, it wasn't fitting into the portfolio. So my option was to stay at Thrive, continue to build that um, for the next three to five years until our next exit with my business partner. Um, or I could go take this Ruby brand, which I'm just super passionate about. I just feel like it could do so much good for the world. And I don't know, I just got really excited about Ruby. And so the, the reality is we just said, Amber, let's just go take this sucker off. I still own Thrive with my business partner. He's killing it, probably way better than with me stopping him. Um, and uh, so it was kind of by necessity of the, the acquisition and I think the need to build its own platform. I would also say no, it, we've never been smoother than when Jason took over manufacturing. So when we were under Thrive, we were the smallest brand and I kept going to him saying, hey, we are out of stock. We are going to be out of stock for a month. Do you realize what this is doing for this brand? It's going to kill it. Just because we were small, we couldn't get the attention from the big company. And so since Jason's taken it over and, and totally controlling it, then yeah, it's, it's humming. It's <laughs> beautiful. I hate waste. And people might call me like a hoarder or various other insults, whether it's uh, construction materials, recyclable materials, or food. Um, it should go into compost. Uh, at the very least, right? But like the amount of waste that we humans turn out is just awful, um, especially with food. And uh, it seems like with your guys' business model, a lot of that is mitigated. Is there an angle there? Is there a reason for that? Or is it just a happy byproduct? A little of both, but it is important to us. A third of all food produced is wasted. And it sits in landfills, and that greenhouse gas is 11% um, of the world's greenhouse gases come from food, which is more than any country except the U.S. and China, the output that they produce in carbon. So food waste is a huge problem, and it's a beautiful thing that, that Ruvi and the fruits and veg veggies in Ruvi, you're eliminating most of that waste, again, because of the process harvested and locked in right away. So a lot of the waste is happening on the manufacturing side where the food goes and sits and it rots and then they throw it away. So, and then of course in the home, uh, the average family throws away $1,600 in produce a year. Like, I, I mean, I do it still. Even though I know what I know, I do it every other week. I go into the fridge and I'm like, oh, what is this? And you go throw it in the trash. And so it's just money out of our pockets and into the trash. And so that waste is being eliminated as well. And we love the human component of it, that it's saving people's hard-earned cash. We're not throwing that money away because Ruby you can use anytime. It doesn't go bad. And um, so, yeah, it's actually a really important part of our story. Yeah. yeah. Do you happen to know, like, a number of how much you... I had save? that. We, we sent an email out at the beginning of this year of how many pounds of produce we've saved from the landfill, and I don't remember it off the top of my head. It's like a trillion. <laughs> just could, could some big number like that. We'll just say that. Yeah. It's fine. Is that your revenue, too? Just, everything's a trillion? No, it's just shy of that. Okay. <laughs> Things are looking up. Okay. Last question, then. Um, now that you guys have kind of made it through COVID, the launch, you're figuring things out, uh, you've got your your sales channels, what is most exciting for you both when you wake up and whether you plan out a month or five seconds or five years, I don't know how y'all do it, but what is the most exciting part of your journey right now? Well, my favorite thing about our journey is just going in and, and looking at the reviews and the stories and um, we've had incredible stories and, and even the reviews that are bad, I love looking at because it's like, okay, what am I learning from that? And, and how can I market it differently? We've changed directions several times. We've, um, yeah, there's lots of pivots we've done because of people's feedback. So that's helpful. But the, honestly, when we hear people's health stories and health journey, it's, it's, that's what fuels me and gets me wanting to just explode this thing because it literally changes 
your health and wellness right now when we're young and healthy, but it changes it down the road when disease starts to set in and it can prolong that. And so fruits and veggies, so researching it, it just, it, it blows my mind how, how necessary they are in our bodies and how we can help people hear about it and learn about it and get it easier. So um, yeah, that's, I guess, my, my answer. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, I, you know, I had this decision to make when we brought on our, um, when we were acquired a couple years ago, which is to either go home and like help Lindsay with the kids and like go pick up hobbies again, which I forgot what those are, dust out the fly rod, get the bike out. And I know that she, that would have driven her crazy, driven her crazy. So that wasn't an option. And when you, when you build a business, you'll, you're kind of like, it just transforms how you think you'll never go work for somebody again. Right. So, um, going back into startup was a really interesting phase because I enjoyed what I did at Thrive. I was having a great time. But when I jumped back into Ruby with Amber, man, like that new startup phase passion just kicked in. And it's like, I have a hard time sleeping. Like, you know, it's funny. I could be out doing anything really with my time and I love coming to work. I think a lot of that is just, um, Parsley's the team. I love working with Amber. She's just such a phenomenal, um, individual human being. I love, um, just brainstorming with her and getting creative on how we're going to build this, this business. Um, our team is amazing. It's just fun to be with our team. I think at Thrive, it was build this business and grow it to, for whatever purpose. And now it's like, we got this team that we want to just help them achieve their goals. Like we sit down with our team and we, what's your, what's your goal? What's your, what are your personal goals? And how can we help you through this business to do that? So helping our team succeed is, is really, um, a fun part of, I think what drives me to come to work every day. Um, yeah, and I think just uh, being back in the grind of funny enough, doing all the, wearing all the different hats, but saying how are we going to build something that's going to be crazy impactful for the world and do a ton of good, um, yeah, it just fuels, fuels me. So. Very cool. Yeah, it's clear that you guys are having fun, which uh, what's the point if you're not? Uh, there's plenty of ways to make money, and uh, you might as well have fun and, and do some good. Uh, are you guys willing to stick around for a few minutes for those that didn't ask questions? Because I know there's there's more. Yeah, you okay. bet. Cool. For sure. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Jason. Really appreciate it. <laughs>